Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you for your grace and mercy. Uh, you are kind to us in so many ways. And I'm reminded this morning that um, we all walked in here with different things weighing us down. And if we think we walked in here without anything weighing us down, we're deceived. This life comes with challenges. It comes with hardship. It comes with things that are just really hard to work through. And we, we, we have different things, Lord, that we're all working through at the same time together. And we're bringing it all in this one place, Lord. So there's a lot of burden in this room. That's just the reality. There's, there's a lot of burden in this room. But we remember what your word says. That we're to cast our burdens on you. Psalm 55, 22. That we're to cast our burdens on the Lord. And we're to know that you sustain us. In our sinful disposition, Lord, we try to hold on to our burdens. We try to deal with them ourselves. We try to fix them ourselves. We try to be creative and do what we think we know what to do and how to do it. And we've neglected the sovereign Lord of all things, the sovereign orchestrator of our souls, the lover and, 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 and the sovereign of the universe. We neglect you, Lord. And we try to deal with everything on our own with our own strength, our own power. And what we know about humanity is that we are foolish and we go astray, yet we trust in ourselves to deal with the baggage on our back. How foolish are we, Lord, to believe the lie that we can do this without you? We're not good. We got stuff going on. We aspire to be different or better or more consistent or more uh, prayerful in you. And we fall short. And it hurts those around us. It hurts us. We believe the lie that we're distant from you. When you said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You said you were ever near to us, but we believe these lies that we are far from you, Lord. Would you remind us of truth this morning? Would you remind us that you love us not based on our performance for you? That your love for us is not based on the amount of hours we can go without sinning? That's not what your love is based on. Would you remind us that we are seen before you, Father, as clean and spotless because of the blood of your son. And we are commanded by you to lift his name high. So I pray that this morning, at the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, we will be set free from lies to believing truth. I pray that this morning in the name of Jesus, souls that were previously in the dark have come into the glorious light of the sun. I pray that those who are previously blind would see and that those who are spiritually dead and are deceived into thinking that they have life will be quickened unto true eternal life, which is to know you, John 17. Father, would you do this for us because we cannot do it in and of ourselves. One of the greatest schemes of Satan is to make us self-sufficient. Take that out of us, Lord. Make us wholly dependent on you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Pillar Church. It's such a joy to be back standing up here. It's nice. Um, my name is Pastor Canaan. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. Okay, so go ahead and open your copy of God's Word to Exodus 18. Uh, some of us in this room grew up in such a way that during holidays or during family get-togethers, we would sit around, at least my family did this, we would sit around the grill 
or we sit around the feet of one of the family OGs, right? One of the old heads, the grandpa, grandma. We sit around their feet, and they would tell us stories, right? I don't know if you guys this happened to you, but we used to love this during the holidays. And they would tell stories about their past, stories about their childhood. They would tell us stories that things that we were like, no, uh, grandpa, no, uh, grandpa, no, that can't be true, right? Those kind of stories. And you know, you know, grandma, grandpa, oh, it's true, baby. I'm telling you, right? They tell us those things, and you can always tell if they were stretching the truth because of who the hero of the story was, right? You always knew if grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle was the hero of the story, they're probably stretching that mug just a little bit. And they would exaggerate them. Either way, more often than not, these stories would leave me and my cousins and, and my, my, my siblings amazed and it would leave us inspired. Like that's what these stories would do. And if that was you, remember those days. They would leave you inspired as a youth. You see, there's power in telling stories. There's a lot of power in telling stories. Many of us pass on our family legacies and history and traditions through stories. We would hear stories in my family of victory during trial. We would hear stories in my family of failures and low points. And as kids, we need to hear both. We need to hear the good stuff and the bad stuff that went on with our families. To a very real degree, those stories helped to shape my thoughts and your thoughts. And if you think about it, there's a reason why Jesus used the art of storytelling to, to communicate deep spiritual truths to his people. Because stories have power. And in today's day and age, because we're a microbite microwave society, we've lost the art of telling stories. Now we tell tweets. But there's power in storytelling. This morning, I believe that God wants to encourage us through Exodus 18 and Jethro's visit to Moses to continue the art of storytelling, of telling both the good stuff and telling the bad stuff. And if we think deeply enough about our story, we'll see that our story is intertwined with God's story. Because all of history is his story. It's a tried and true story, a story of love and a story of tragedy. God's story is a story of rebellion, failure, and redemption. Rebellion, failure, redemption, love, tragedy. Does that sound like your life a little bit? It's the story, that the narrative that God is painting or writing. And yours is intertwined into it. You're not isolated. You're not alone. You're not uh, so unique that no one understands. No, your story is intertwined with God's story. And God is telling us a lot about ourselves, himself, and others if we would have the time to sit and listen and to tell. God's telling a story about a wretched people who by a powerful and gracious God have experienced salvation. In this story, though, grandma and grandpa's not the hero. In this story, the hero is Jesus. And if our stories tell of a different hero than God's story, then we've missed the point of our story. God wants us to tell our stories that he might get his glory. And that's the idea this morning, getting us to tell our story so that God, not so that you or your family, so that God gets his glory from your story. Let me ask you this. Do you tell your story? Have you told your story? Do you even know what your story is? For many of you who are millennials, older millennials, young millennials, you probably haven't even thought about what your story is. Don't think that your story is insignificant. It's highly valuable in the sight of God. Let's see this story play out in Exodus 18, verse 1. It says, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, a priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for the people 
for, the, for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Here we see one of the family OGs coming to visit Moses while he's in the Sinai wilderness. Who came to visit him? Jethro. Who's Jethro? He's Moses' father-in-law, and he's the priest of Midian. Now, there isn't a ton of information about what the Midianite people believed. He's a priest of Midian. We know that there were a religious people to some degree, but what we know about the Midianites from a religious point of view is that it's not good. In Numbers 31:16, we see that they were help, helpful and instrumental in leading the people of Israel away from faithful worship to God. Okay, that's what the Midianites did in Numbers. And there's not much other information about the Midianites that would give you a good grasp on what they believed and, and how they believed. But we know that they were spiritual people because they had priests. That's what Jethro was. And it's safe to say that uh, Jethro was a, a worshiper of foreign gods, or that the Midianites are probably worshipers of foreign gods, but Jethro in particular was not hostile to the God of Israel. He may have worshipped other gods, but he was not hostile to the God of Israel. That's who Jethro is. Now, no doubt when word got to Midian about all that Yahweh had done, all these mighty gods that he fought in Egypt, it caught Jethro's attention. Look at verse 1 with me again. It says, Moses Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, when he heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people, Israel, for God's people Israel, when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. So he heard what was going on, and he came to check things out firsthand. He wanted to hear all that happened. Now, before his visit with Moses, Jethro would have heard about these things secondhand. It's similar to how we're hearing about things in Haiti and Afghanistan now. Everything we're hearing from these other countries is secondhand information that has outside influences spinning the information that you receive in the manner in which you receive it. No doubt it was no different during the days of Jethro. Hem and Midian is hearing word about what Yahweh did to the gods of Egypt, but all that information is getting spun. You ever play telephone? What happened by the end? It's a whole different story to get through that line, right? But he has an in. He has an in. He says, no, my, my, my son-in-law is the very people that God freed. And they're in my land because Sinai was in the area that the Midianites inhabited. And so he said, I'm going to go there and talk to my son-in-law without biased, spun information getting tossed my way. And the fact that Jethro heard about this as all is a testament to God's purposes in Egypt. Let me ask you, what was God's reason for freeing his people from bondage in Egypt? Do you remember? There were two. They were simple. The first is this, for the good of his people. He says he remembered his promises, right? Second thing, for the glory of his name. That's what he does for all of us. Everything God does in, for, and through you is for the good of you and for his glory. And that's what he did in Egypt. When he freed his people from Egyptian bondage to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian gods, he did it for their good, because that's a good thing to be freed from oppression, but he also did it for their glory. He did it for both. We see this in the text. In Exodus 6-7, it says that God wanted Israel to know who they were and whose they were. That's a sermon, y'all. That's another one, part two. Whose are you? Everybody belongs to something, someone. You're a slave to something. Who? <laughs> Can't go there. Exodus 6-7. Y'all write, write that. Y'all do what you want to do. Second thing he wanted to do. God wanted Egypt to know who the Lord of the universe was. That's Exodus 7-5. It says he wanted everyone in the whole world to know his name. I'm the God that did this. And then in Exodus 9, 9, verse 16, it says that he wanted the whole world to know his name. And he accomplished just that. Even Jethro and Midian heard the news about what Yahweh had done. God's mission was accomplished in the saving of his people and the glorifying of his name. He did it both in one action. God is all about our good and his glory. God is all about our good as believers in, in his son, Jesus Christ, our good, his glory. As Christians, we, we shouldn't want to play a passive role in God getting his glory either. 
as the redeemed of God, we shouldn't want, we should not allow the rocks to praise God's name before our lips do. That's what it says in Luke 19, 40. If they don't, then the very, the very rocks will sing, will sing my praises. But how can we be the people of God and we allow the rocks to sing praises over those who have vocal cords? We shouldn't let the world look out at creation and see that there is truly a God who made all things. They see the evidence of the painter's canvas and the paint with on it, but we're not there telling them who the painter was. Not after all that God has done. In your cross-reference sheet, you have Psalm 66, the whole psalm on your cross-reference sheet. That psalm teaches us how to give God praise in remembrance for what all he has done. So if you don't know how to do that, Psalm 66 is your guide. But you also have another whole psalm on there, Psalm 148. Psalm 148 tells us a different truth. It's to give God praise because he's God, not because of what he's done for you. See, if Jesus is Lord, he's Lord all the time. He's not Lord when he's helping you and not Lord when he's not helping you. He's not Lord when your life is going good, but not Lord when your life is going bad. He's Lord 24 hours, 365. He deserves your praise, whether you feel like praising him or you don't feel like praising him. Because he's God. Psalm 148 will school you in that. I was going to read the whole psalm, but we're not. This is, the, this is an enduring truth that I learned years ago from a pastor friend, online pastor friend. You'll recognize it. It says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Right? John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him because when we're satisfied in God, we, we have no issue, no problem, no qualms praising his name. He's satisfied. He's quenched us. We're not looking for anything else to satisfy us anymore. We freed our spouse from being the thing that satisfies us. We freed our friends from being the thing that satisfies us. Because you've been satisfied in God. That's all you need. Everything else is icing on the cake. It's extra. It's good. You want it. It tastes good to the palate. But what you need is the substance. And our aim as believers needs to be constantly praying that we be satisfied in God. And I want to push you to be satisfied in God because the Psalms, the psalmist promises that we'll be satisfied in him. Psalm 107.9, you see it in cross-reference sheet. It says, for he has satisfied the thirsty and he has filled the hungry with good things. Make it a normal prayer of yours to be asking God to satisfy you. And let me ask you this question. Why are you not satisfied with God? Because our griping as a people show us, it shows the world that we're not satisfied in him. When you carry on a bad mood for a long time, you ain't satisfied in God. You're too caught up in getting your piece of the pie, your piece of the cake, your pound of flesh, feel, wanting to feel justified in your anger. Right? When you, y'all, don't tell me I'm the only one now. Come on. Were you mad? And somebody come try to cheer you up? And you're like, no. And you don't want them to cheer you up. Why? It's pride. You ain't satisfied in Jesus. You won't be satisfied until you get what you want, which is you want your justice. You won't be satisfied in your rightness. No. No, 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 no. That's why you're not satisfied in God. You're still trying to be satisfied in everything else. If you're not finding your satisfaction in God, it's likely because we have too many things vying for our satisfying to satisfy us, and we're just letting them things in with no filter. It's like going to a buffet and getting distracted by all the sweets. Because what's funny is when you're like this all the time, and then somebody says, okay, fine, you're right. Do you actually feel better? It's like going to the buffet hungry, right? And you see the cake and the brownies, y'all laughing like that was you. <laughs> see the cake and the brownies, and you eat them, and you leave. What happens 30 minutes later? You're hungry. Because you, are, you avoided the very sustenance that you needed to, say, to, to, to satisfy your soul. And we do the same thing with God. Everything else but him. Sometimes what we need to do is put within our lives reminders, things that will cause us to remember that he is God who has done much for me and he is God who is worthy of praise. Do you have reminders in your life that keep you thinking about whether or not you're being pointed toward Jesus? 
Why do I say that? Sounds weird? No, that's what the text is about to tell us. Moses had to do this. Moses put reminders in his life, things that he would never be apart from, to cause him to remember who God is and what God has done. Look at Exodus 18, verse 2 through 4. This is what he did. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Look at verse 3. Along with her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, because Moses had said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land, and the other, Eliezer, because he also said, the God of my fathers was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. It's not happenstance that God inspired Moses to write what the names of his sons mean. We read it like, okay, we know what his names of sons mean. Cool. That's for you. He put those names there as a reminder, as a testimony. Look what he said in verse 3. It says he named him Gershom. Why? Moses said, because this is why. I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. He cannot forget where he has come from because his son is named Gershom. And then he says, oh, my other son, he's Eliezer. Why? Because my God is my helper and he spared me from Pharaoh's sword. Does your name have any kind of meaning? Kids, what does your name mean? My kids, Sarai means princess. Maya means great one. Melina means honey. Guys, your name is a part of your story. You can either redeem your name or you can live your name out. Do you know what your name means? Do you think it's a coincidence that God allowed your parents to name you what your name is? And you can strive to be a redeemer of your name, or you can strive to, to fulfill your name, whatever it may be. Like Jacob, his name is Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. And he lived that mug out for a long time, didn't he? But then after God got a hold of him, he redeemed that name. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. What does your name mean? And are you going to choose to redeem your name or to walk in its likeness? Moses' sons' name are a testament to where God has brought him from. Gershom means, it literally means this, son of a sojourner. That's what it literally means. That's what the word Gershom means, son of a sojourner. Eliezer, it literally means my God is helper. That's what it actually means, my God is helper. And what's beautiful about Moses' sons' names is that's not only the testimony of Moses, it's the testimony of Israel. Did y'all notice that? that the, the names of his sons is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. We learn in Genesis chapter 46 and 47 of how the people of Israel became residents in a foreign land when there was a famine and they all went to where? Under the instruction of Joseph, to Egypt, right? So there were resident aliens in a foreign land, the whole nation, not just Moses. And then we saw in Exodus 13 through 15 when we did the series called Freedom from, Freedom from Oppression of how God rescued them from the sword of Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, Eliezer. Moses had God's legacy imprinted in his family as a testament of God's goodness to him and to the nation. Because these are names that would cause them to never forget the hand of God in their life. This begs the question, what has God done for us that we have forgotten about? And as a result, we no longer give him praise in light of that truth. Let me ask that question again. What has God done for us that we have forgotten about? And as a result, we no longer live in light of that truth. We forgot about those answered prayers that God did for us so quickly. Soon as something happens that we don't like, that answered prayer, gone. We forgot about that supernatural comfort you received when you were in pain and you were hurting. I just talked to a sister this morning who said when she was sick in the hospital, she literally felt the prayers of the saints. And my desire is that she never forgets that. We forget about that, oh, that could have been me moment, right? Y'all know where I'm from. They'll be like, oh, look at God. But it's so funny how you forget about what God has done as soon as something doesn't go your way. It's look at God as long as it's all good. But when everything goes bad, it's I don't even know anymore. Oh, we are fickle, forgetful people. 
We are fickle, forgetful people. We have forgotten what God has done. And part of the reason is we have not listened to enough stories of God's mercy and grace, redemption and saving. We haven't even thought about our own story in that light. And because we don't think about our own story in that light, we're quick to turn, us, turn on a dime on them, on our people. We do that with people too. You ever notice somebody's all good and dandy until they do something you don't like and then they're enemy number one? And then you don't like them anymore, then you're cutting them off. And then it's like, well, I thought we was, but after one thing, two things maybe? Guys, we won't face the fears and battles of tomorrow well if we don't remember the battles and victories of yesterday well. We just won't. We won't face them well. Remember Pillar Church when I asked you to write your song? Did you actually write your song? Your battle cry for times of trial? I instruct you to write the song to recount all that God has done for you. Right? Write it down in a song. All that you've been through from as young as you can remember to now and look for traces of God's hand weaving in and through that when he was doing things with you before you even knew his name and, 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 and when he saved you from the pits of sin, death, and Satan and he, and he said, you are my son. You are my daughter adopted and cleansed because of the blood of, of Christ Jesus. To write that in a song, it's not corny, it's warfare. You need that song because when Satan's minions, when he's, when he's playing with your mind, you need truth to remind you of what's real. Because he highlights, he puts, peaks in, he puts peaks over the bad stuff and valleys over the, over the good stuff. We're not trained as a people to rejoice over what God has done that's good. And because we don't rejoice about what is good, but we linger on what is bad, what is bad seems taller than what was good. And we forget the truth of who God is and what God has done and what he can do and what he's done in the past. All that gets wiped away because of one little bad thing, two little bad things, a horrible bad thing, a tragic bad thing doesn't change the truth. Writing your song ain't corny, it's warfare. Go ahead and be the victim all you want. Write your song. Sing it. Go to war with praise on your lips. Remind yourself of the truth of who God is. That's how you win in the battle for your soul and your mind. Recalibrate your allegiance to Jesus by singing of his kindness and his goodness. Don't let the enemy keep you where he wants you. Get out of it by getting to your song, remembering those lyrics. Your life is a testimony of what God has done. Your story is God's story. Record the story, tell the story, and tell the story. And I, and I want to encourage you to tell your story because in doing so, you'll encourage those who are discouraged. You'll bring perspective and light to those who have blocked vision. Simply by sharing your story of what God has done and is doing in your life. Your story isn't complete. You don't got to tell it like it's complete. He's still working on you. He's working on me too. Tell what he's working on. Share with one another. You may encourage your brother or sister without even knowing it. You may have spared them from a deep catastrophe they're about to walk into without even knowing it because you are bold enough to share your story. This is what Moses does. Look at Exodus 18, verse 5 through 8. It says, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where they were camped in the, near the mountain of God. He, went, <clears throat> he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, verse 7. He bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other how they had been, and they went into the tent. So they show respect, and then they, and then they go into the tent. Now look what happens in verse 8. Look what Moses does. Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now notice what, he's, notice what he recounted. All the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. Y'all see that? Moses told Jethro everything. He told him about all the hardships that they experienced and how the Lord rescued them from them all. Now notice who's the hero of Moses' story. When you read the Exodus, who do you think about? Moses didn't write, it didn't write Aaron as the hero. He didn't write her as the hero. He didn't write Joshua as the hero. 
He didn't write himself as the hero. He didn't write the staff of God as the hero. Who's the hero in God's story? He knows out of the mouth of babes. Who's the hero in God's story? God's the hero in God's story. Unlike some of the stories that our family OGs would tell us, Moses was honest about who the hero was. Guys, there's something called the candor of Scripture. Right? The candor of Scripture is a theological term that we use. Candor is not, but the idea is this. Everything that's written in the text is truthful. It's, well, it's candid. Candid means to be truthful, straightforward, to be frank. It means that it, the way they wrote it is exactly how it happened. If you notice about the text, they don't try to protect their heroes. Moses is a murderer and a stutterer. And he's stubborn as they come. And God uses him. David... David did unthinkable things to Bathsheba. Think about that. The king, she, can't, she cannot say no to King David. He's the king. Even if she wanted to say no, she couldn't. You don't even think about that? David, the friend of God, the writer of the Psalms, did unthinkable things to her, murdered her husband, and the whole group that was with him by sending them to the front to die. Scripture doesn't try to save anybody who we perceive as heroic in the text. They're all jacked up. Comfort for you, you jacked up too. Yet God uses them in their story for their good and his glory. You ain't got to have it together. You got to be truthful. You got to see with two eyes open. This is, this is one of the reasons why we can believe the scriptures. They don't try to protect anybody. It's just, I'm going to tell you what happened. That's what the text does. I'm just going to tell you what happened. Y'all make your own conclusions on these people. Moses tells the candid truth about his time as a resident alien, which Jethro would know about, and how the Lord redeemed them both and the nation from the with his powerful and gracious hand. Now notice this. There is something missing from Moses' story. There's something missing from Moses' story. What's missing from Moses' story isn't any of the facts. We see the facts there. What's missing from Moses' story isn't that the people were sinful and griping. We've read all of that, right? They're griping people like us. You notice what's missing? Shame. Shame. Moses' story is lacking shame. Moses tells candidly of the hardships and rescues, how they were hard-hearted and how God saved them anyway. And he can do so because God redeems people from their past. Some of us catch ourselves being super secretive Christians, not wanting people to know about our past failures and mistakes. That's some of you, and that's me. I'm, I'm, I've been told I'm a secretive dude. You can know me for 15 years. You don't know nothing about me, right? Why? Not wanting people to know low points of what you've done and where you've been. Why? It's usually probably because you're ashamed. Shame is in your story. We say, no, I'm just a private person. And that's true to a degree for a lot of us. You could be a private person, but I want you to explore the reality. Are you ashamed of your past? And, you are, and are you allowing your shame to govern your story more than God's redemption of it? To be sure, there's always going to be the threat of gossip when you share your story. There's always going to be the threat of, I give somebody some information and it becomes public knowledge. And I didn't want it to. That's a real threat. It's hard to navigate. I would absolutely say, you know, use some wisdom in how much you share or what you share and with whom you're sharing. If you don't know somebody from Adam, it may be wise. I don't know. That's hard to navigate. And that's another topic. But it can't be because you're ashamed. Freedom from living, the freedom of living unashamed of your past because of Jesus' redemption of it tells a better story than the gossip of your past ever could. And you have to choose to believe that. I'll say it again. The freedom of living unashamed of your past because of Jesus' redemption of it tells a better story than gossip of your past ever could. If you don't tell the whole story, the good and the bad, what has Jesus redeemed you from? 
Not that he didn't redeem you from, from nothing, but you're not sharing what he did. You're, you're robbing your, your brethren of the opportunity of saying, look at God. And then you're writing that in your song so that everyone who reads it says, look at God. Bolstering the faith of the brethren because your story was redeemed. Yes, you were, you were trash. You did that horrible thing. Yes, you did that thing. Horrible. But Jesus redeemed you of that thing. He cleansed you. He separated you as far as the east is from the west from that sin, that egregious premeditated act that you did and you know you shouldn't have did and you did it on purpose anyway. Yet he redeemed you from that thing and he, he granted you repentance to turn from that thing. And now you not only don't want to do that thing, but you strive to keep yourself and others away from that thing. That's a better story of a big God who saves low people. But you don't tell it. We don't know God can do it. We haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but my story's different. It's a lie. <laughs> but my, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's nuanced. It's nuanced. It's yours. It's fingerprint. It's unique, but everybody got fingerprints. We all get it to a degree. Some more than others, some more tactful with their wisdom than others, some more gentle than others, but you ain't the only one. 1 Corinthians 10 will tell you that. Ain't no sin, ain't no temptation that's not common to man. The light of your Christian walk and the sacrifice of Jesus, when they're lifted high, you set us, it sets us free from the shame of our past. Some of us in this room don't want to share our past because we're ashamed of what we did. We, sh we don't share our past because we think that it lacks a ju juicy story. Right? Some of us grew up and we were good and we were obedient. And what did God save us from? You don't tell your story because you feel like you don't have a story to tell. That's a lie. That's as compelling as anybody, as, as the biker dude who stabbed 19 people's story. Now, how is it that compelling? Consider the truth that his preservation and sparing you from hard times and trauma is just as amazing as saving somebody out of hard times and trauma. How did you get it? How did you not get that? Y'all, I don't know, y'all see the news, y'all go outside, y'all have relationships with humans. How do you get spared from trauma and hardship? It's like impossible to get spared from trauma and hardship. As soon as you make a relationship, the potential of being hurt is 100%. Would you live in a bubble your whole life? If God spared you from hardship, that's amazing. And we praise him. And then you know what we say? Look at God. Hope for my kids. They don't got to go through what I went through. Because until then, I thought everybody had to go through what I went through. Y'all see that? Tell your story. Tell of both scenarios. God doesn't let anybody's story go to waste. Nothing you've experienced in life is just happenstance. Nothing. God ain't letting an ounce of your story go to waste. Y'all experience trauma. I know a lot of y'all. A lot of y'all experience some hard things. And I've sat with some of y'all in that. That's not just happening to you for no reason. That doesn't question God's love for you at all. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's going to use that hard time. And you're going to be able to encourage somebody with your hardship and lead them closer to Jesus than you could have had God not led you through that. Whatever it may be, not a wasted event. Hurtful, hard, for your good and God's glory. Tell her the times where you trusted yourself and you messed it all up. Tell her the times where you trusted God and he delivered you. Your story has value. Your story is his story. And God will use it for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Just like we see in Exodus 18. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me. It says in verse 9 of Exodus 18, Jethro rejoiced over all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Stop there. Jethro has a proper response to God's saving work. What was it? Rejoicing in praise. Right? That's a proper response. That's what we don't do enough of. When God comes through, he answers prayer. We go, oh, that's cool. And we're done. Guys, when God answers your prayer, rejoice, praise, write it in your song. Never forget. Don't allow the world to cause you to forget what he's done. Verse 10. 
Look at Jethro's praise. Look at what he says. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Guys, let's get in the habit of truly celebrating the victories for one another, not just ourselves. So if you tell your brother or sister of a story of God's victory in your life, let's rejoice. Let's obey what the Apostle Paul told us to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Let's obey God's word where he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be too busy to celebrate with your brother or sister what God has done. Guilty, everybody. Oh, that's good for you. I'm off doing my one too. No, celebrate with them. You know why? It's warfare. It's going to help you by celebrating their victory. So when you're in it, you can say, I know what you've done, God. I see you. What you working out on this one? It hurt. I want to get out of it, Lord. I'm telling you the real. It hurt. But you cooking. Help me to see. Not what's the meaning of this. What's the meaning in this? That's what we do. What's the meaning of this? God, what's the meaning in this? What are you, what are you doing? I don't like it. You can be honest. You know, don't nobody like hardship. You can be honest. I don't like it. God, I want to out. What are you doing? Help me to see. Write it in your song. Even if he hasn't redeemed you from it yet, write it in your song. Have you seen the Psalms? It ain't always ending like, oh, Lord, you're, you know, flowers and buttercups. Sometimes you're just in the mire. Lord, I'm in the mire. It's the worst. Amen. That's where you are. Put it in your song. And then funny, you'll go back to it about two, three weeks later. It's like, wow, I was in a dark place. God lifted you and you didn't even know it. And then you write, Lord, I don't even know when you lifted me. Praise, look at God. But write it in your song. Learn to shower people with rejoicing and praise. Give people the opportunity to praise with you of God's work. And then tell that story. But we were all lost and then now we're found. We were all blind and now we see. We're all dead. We're all messing up in different ways, different things. We're all trying to follow this. We're all trying to follow King Jesus as, as, as rightly as we can. And we're teetering on either side. It's happening to all of us. You don't got to be ashamed of your story. Everybody's there. We're all there. I'm there. You there. Come on. Come on. Just share it with one another. Now, I need to be careful with the information in the rest of this text. Because there's not enough information to be dogmatic about this conclusion. But I think it's an accurate one. It looks to me, in Moses' telling of his story, in his redemption, that Jethro may have made a profession of faith. Okay, let's look at it and, and, and look at this reason to believe this. Look at Exodus 18, verses 11 through 12. Remember, he's a priest of Midian. But look what he says. So we already saw his praise, right? Look what he says in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Stop there. Does that remind, when you read those words, does it remind you of anything? Maybe something you grew up with hearing, maybe the Ten Commandments, maybe the first one. It's, it's like he's mirroring it. Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods before me. What did he say? Now I know that you are greater than all gods because of the wonders you did when, when, you, when, the, when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. But look what else happens. Look at the verse 20. Look at, um, oh, wait, wait, I don't want to get there yet. Jethro seems to be convinced that Yahweh is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the truth that Yahweh has been telling us from the beginning. Look in your cross-reference sheet. I want your eyes to behold Isaiah 45. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Isaiah 45, verse 5 through 7. It's so beautiful. Look at what God says in Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will strengthen you, but though what? Look what he says. Though you do not know me. <laughs> is that not our salvation story? Let me give you all a newsflash. None of y'all came looking for God. God came graciously to you graciously to you. Though you did not know him, he granted you repentance. Open your eyes from blind to sight, from death to life. That's God's work. 
though you didn't, though I strengthen you, though you don't know me. Verse 6. So that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, there is no one but me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make success, and I create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. <laughs> wow. That's God. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, seems to make that clear understanding that Yahweh is Lord. And this is another reason why I'm seeing that. Look at verse, chapter 18, verse 12. Look what he does, and then look at the response of the priests of Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, remember, he's the priest of Midian. What did he do? They brought burnt offerings and sacrifices to God. And Aaron, with all the elders of Israel, together, ate a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. If Jethro was worshiping another god, they wouldn't have sacrificed to Yahweh. Satan had a meal in honor of Yahweh together. It, it, it's not dogmatic. Jethro doesn't say, I've casted away all things, and we don't see the fruit of this later. We read in our CBR, we're reading, we read about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing, right? Oh, your God, Daniel, he's the, the most high, da, da, da. and then he looks out of his kingdom, he's like, you know what? I'm pretty bad, my dad gonna sell. Right? And then God humbles him. And then he comes back and he says, oh, the most high God. Look, he humbles those who are proud and all that kind of stuff. And then it ends abruptly. King Nebuchadnezzar's reign it ends in the text. We don't know where he's, where he's at. So I don't want to ascribe too much to this, but it, it's almost leaning to, and I believe that what this principle is true, that God can use your story so long as the hero is correct to bring redemption and salvation to the souls of those who tell. So long as the hero is correct. This is the aim of telling our story, that everyone under the sound of our voices may exclaim that Yahweh is God, that Jesus, who is Yahweh, is Lord. That's what we want people to exclaim out of our stories. That's why we share it, that there is no other, that God is the hero of all stories. You know what's super interesting about this passage? If we look at it closely, it also reflects you and me in the names of Moses' sons. Moses' sons... And not just legacies for, for Moses or for Israel. The, the, the legacies for is the realities of Christians as well. We as Christians, according to Philippians 3.20, we're foreigners in a strange land. We're Gershom. Heaven is our home. We're pilgrims here on earth with a mission and a duty. But we're not just Gershom. We're also Eliezer. For though we reside in this foreign land and though we have many trials and tribulations, it's not God our helper. Y'all think it's just Moses' son's names? It's you. <laughs> the text is so cool. It's for you. You're a resident alien in a foreign land. You will soon go home, but you have a mission here on earth, and that mission will cause you many hardships. But not to worry, Eliezer. God is your helper. Because you remembered it, because you wrote it in your story. You wrote it in your song. And you recounted it that God will help you. Moses' story is a gospel story, just like yours and mine's. We're told the story of turning from unbelief and sin, turning from those things to trusting in the God who saves and giving praise to his name. But we'll only tell the story rightly if we tell it in light of the gospel, tell it in light of, of, of Christ Jesus and his redemption. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we have the full love of God on display for sinners like you and me just like we saw in the Exodus. And that through Jesus' sacrificial love for me and redeeming of my past shame, I am free from the, bond, from the bonds of sin. I am free from my shameful past. I can tell you what happened to me when I was four, five, eight, ten. I can tell you that because Jesus' redemption of me is greater. When they say, oh, he can redeem you from that? Yes. Yes. And he can redeem you too. His blood is powerful to save you from anything that holds you bound. Nothing can bind you if your faith is in Christ. But we choose to believe the lie that our hands are still like this when them chains done fell off a long time ago. It is for freedom that he cast they set us free, Galatians teaches. We tell our story because of the truth of Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message 
about Christ. So I want to encourage you this morning, tell your story. Get the hero right so that he can get his glory. Father, thank you for showing us this principle in the text of telling our story and telling it in such a way that Jesus gets all his glory out of it because it would be a shame for people, for us to tell our story. It would be a shame for us, Lord, to tell our story and to leave the God of the universe out, the one who saved our soul from sin, Satan. You saved us from you, from your wrath. To not tell that, that we were on an eternal trajectory towards your wrath, but the blood of your son cleansed us and it turned us and you granted us permission. You, re you, you granted us repentance and we turned away from those things. And now our, the reason for our existence has changed. How can we tell the story and not tell the reason for our existence changing? We don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for the glory of Christ Jesus now. And far be it for, for us to let the rocks give you the praise. May our stories give you praise. May our songs be sung with loud voices because you are worthy of praise. Look at what you have done, Psalm 66. Look at what you have done for us. If we would but only remember. And then, Lord, you are God despite what you may or may not have done. Psalm 148. And we will give you praise because you are God and there is no other. You create light and darkness. You create success and calamity. You are the Lord who does all these things. And we are your children. Hear us, Lord. Open the eyes of those who are blind to the truth and the saving work of Christ Jesus. Lord, I can't, do, I can't save a soul, but you're in the business of salvation. Would you save today? Save today, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.